Pastor Mark and Miss Tasha, thank you. How many of you love your pastors? They are awesome, wonderful people. Lisa and I love them so much. And we've loved every time. We've never had a bad experience here. We've always had a great time with you guys and, and uh, just uh, thrilled to be with you today. I want to show you a few pictures. I'm going to be talking about the three greats today. We'll get into that in a minute. But I want to show you a few pictures of some of the things we've been privileged to do, places to go and books to write and things like that. If we could go to the first slide, please. These are the countries. Uh, that we've been privileged to minister in over the years. And uh, after a couple of years of not really being overseas other than through Zoom, we're getting ready to head back, heading to Guatemala on Thursday. In a couple of weeks, uh, Lisa and I are heading to Turkey and Greece. And then Austria, Hungary, no, not Hungary, that's going to be Zoom, uh, England and France in the summer, and then Brazil for a few weeks in October. So we're excited about getting back out of the country again. The next slide are the books that we've been privileged to write over the years. Uh, the center stack is English. The left and the right are the different translations. And so uh, we've got more books coming out in different translations. We're thankful about that. The next slide shows the ones that we have in English. These are the ones we've had for a few years. Uh, you might want to get, how many of you like that last song that the worship team did? Wasn't that the Dry Bones Live Again and Resurrection Power and all that? That book in the lower right-hand corner on Lift is all about resurrection power in our daily lives. So you might want to look at that. Next slide are some of our more recent books um, that came out in the COVID year 2020 and that type of thing. And we just had another new book come out. If we could go to the next slide, uh, the uh, In Search of Paul just came out a few weeks ago. I know some of the books have already sold out, and you can see what they are. We've got a plastic card there. You can order those. We won't charge you shipping or handling. And uh, But uh, if any of those will benefit you, we'll be uh, very grateful. But aren't these interesting times we're living in? My goodness. And uh, Pastor Mark, I, just, I appreciated your prayer. And um, I'll tell you, if God's people are sensitive right now, there's, there's a prayer call uh, to pray. And, um, you know, there's so many things we can pray about. And I appreciate you praying for Russia, for Ukraine. Uh, there's, there's many believers in both countries. And uh, so we want to pray for our family there in particular and many other things to pray for as well. But, um, you know, this has just been such a weird time the last couple of years, you know, uh, the coronavirus and and I'm glad the, the, the murder hornet thing didn't turn out to be much. Um, just about the time that the news, you know, they, you know, people weren't traumatized enough, so they announced that we were being invaded by murder hornets. And uh, I'm just glad that didn't uh, turn out to be too much. But then, you know, the world's in unrest and, and that type of thing. And I guess if a preacher was inclined to, you know, well, let's take all the negative things and keep people in fear and keep people you know, worried and that type of thing. This would be a really good time to do it. Uh, but how many of you know that when you come to church, we've got good news? Uh, Jesus said to preach the gospel, which is good news. And, and we're not denying. We know there's bad stuff going on in the world, but we believe that God is bigger than the bad stuff. It's just that simple. God is bigger than the bad stuff. And, um, but, and I'm no condemnation if, you know, people have been dealing with fear, distress, anxiety, whatever, you know, the church is here to help you 
not to condemn you for, you know, having a period. But this next picture I'm going to show you really illustrates, I think, how a lot of folks have been uh, lately uh, looking outside to see which chapter of Revelation we're doing today. Can you relate to that at all? You know, uh, there's bad stuff in the world, but there's always been bad stuff in the world ever since the fall of man. And um, again, we have gospel. We have good news for you to share, uh, to share with you today. Uh, we don't deny the reality of the problems in the world, but we believe we have a greater reality in God. We believe that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Uh, we believe that uh, Jesus has conquered the world. Uh, we believe that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Uh, we believe that we're always in the palm of his hand. Nothing can take us out of his hand. We believe the 91st Psalm is true. We're dwelling under the shadow of the Almighty. And so we have good news, but, but how, how, how is the world being affected? You know, what did Jesus himself even say? I want to look at a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 24, verses 12 and 13. Jesus said, talking about the last days. How many of you believe we're in the last days? You know, even if, uh, even if that's more general, I'm not saying Jesus is coming back tomorrow or next week. We don't know, but we are in the period of time the Bible calls the last days. But even if the Lord tarries his coming a bit, today is somebody's last day. Today is somebody's last day. And we want to do everything we can to let the light of Jesus Christ shine, to make sure people are hearing the word of God, make sure that people are being loved and that they know that God has a way for them. But Jesus said that in the last days, he said there will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness that those whose hearts once burned with passion for God and others will grow cold. Let, let me just encourage you, don't let the fear and the trauma and the distress in the world cause you to become so fearful that you become cold. Um, I had a situation just a few weeks ago ran to the grocery store for something and I, I just turned down one of the aisles and when I turned down one of the aisles in my car, uh, there was a, a particular driver, I won't mention any genders or anything like that, but there was a particular driver that was wanting to back out and I 100% had the right of way and I don't know what had happened in that person's day earlier, I don't know who may have been ugly to her, uh, to, to that individual. Um, but, but when I just came around the corner, just like a normal driver, uh, this individual took both hands and if you, have you ever heard the phrase, if looks could kill and, and like reaching out to, to choke me and to strangle me. And, and I'm not exactly a lip reader, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't, I love you. Okay. I mean, vile. I mean, and, and, and just the rage coming out of this individual. And, uh, I mean, I was a little bit shocked because I didn't do anything. And other than just turn down the, I had, you know, had the right of way, turn down the deal. And, and, uh, and, but I thought, what's going on in that person's life? You know, what, what stress are they under? What uh, distress and, you know, perhaps, you know, 
dealing with anxiety and fear, depression, whatever to be so. It reminded me of a t-shirt I saw once at a Walmart in Alabama. It said, I have one nerve left and you're on it. God wants us to be in more peace than that, right? And so Jesus said that in the, in the last days, sin and lawlessness will increase so much that people, even though their hearts once burned with passion for God and for people, their hearts will grow cold. And Jesus said, but hold your hope firmly to the end. Let me encourage you to be hopeful. Be, believe that God is bigger than the stuff, the junk in the world. Hold your hope firmly to the end and you will experience life and deliverance. In another place, Jesus said in Luke 21, 26, he said, people, talking about the last days, he said, people will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth. For the powers in the heavens will be shaken, then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, hide. No, when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. You know, we have a choice as believers. We always have a choice. Now, here, here's what you don't have a choice about. You don't have a choice about what's going to happen in the world. Have you figured out yet there's a few things outside of your control and my control? There's some things in the world that we just don't have absolute control over. But you know what we always have control over? What is my attitude going to be about it? Am I going to respond to that in fear or in faith? Am I going to get into distress or am I going to move into a realm of trust? Am I going to yield to panic or am I going to yield to peace? And, and one individual said this. Well, I, actually, I'm the one that said it. Let's go to the next slide. I, I was getting ready to quote somebody, Pastor Mark, but I said this one. This is me. All right. As I once said... Are we going to look at this as a threat? Or I'm going to quote other people later, okay? Are we going to look at this as a time of threat or a time of opportunity? Mark, please don't tell any of our friends I just said that in your pulpit, okay? He's enjoying that way too much down there. Are we going to see this as a time of threat or a time of opportunity? What will determine your destiny is whether you see this as a season of threat or as a time of opportunity. How many of you know there's a lot of threat in the world? There are a lot of people, and man, our hearts should go out to people right now who are, who are feeling tremendous threat. I mean, a level that I can't even relate to in, in my time on this earth. And, and so we definitely should have compassion, but at the same time, we have to see this as an opportunity. What's it an opportunity to? It's an opportunity to pray. It's an opportunity to take hold of heaven and, and plead for the will of God to be done to, um, you know, address some of the issues going on with the principalities and powers. Maybe it's a time to be encouraging to people. Maybe it's a time to send an email or a note to somebody that you know that's struggling. This is an opportunity maybe to give you know, to some realms that, that can help people in phenomenal distress right now. This is a time of opportunity. And if we will see this as a time of opportunity and not so much focus on it as a time of threat, 
then that's going to launch us into a great destiny. It really is. We can partner with God in, in this. As another person said, somebody named Carl Henry, he said, uh, the early church did not say, look what the world is coming to. They said, look what has come into the world. What has come into the world? Jesus has come into the world. The Holy Ghost has come into the world. The Word of God has come into the world. The church has come into the world. Uh, the people of God with faith in their heart and the Word in their mouth, that's what's come into the world. And we've got to believe, really believe in these days that greater is He that's in us than he that's in the world. And that we will overcome all the power of the enemy because of the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony. We don't love our lives unto the death, but our souls, our hearts are sold out to God and we're living for eternity. Another individual named Warren Wearsby said, opportunities energize the faithful and paralyze the fearful. Stop and think about times in your life when you've been paralyzed by fear. Because fear does that. It, it, it causes you to just think you can't do anything, you can't go anywhere, you can't. But, but opportunities energize the faithful. That's what we're going to do with this. Charles Swindoll said, we are faced with great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. I'll tell you, if we'll look at life that way, if we'll spend a little more time in the Word than watching the news, we'll be able to do that. Amen? I'm not saying don't watch the news. I'm just saying spend more time in the Word than you do in the news. Because number one, the news, number one, we don't always know how reliable it is. Number two, it's always changing. Uh, but the Word of God is always reliable and it never changes. And no matter what happens on this earth, I'm going to tell you what, God is not going to have to recall the book of Psalms in a week or so and take out all those verses about peace and trust and faith and all that. God's not going to have to recall the Bible anytime soon. Never, he never will. But say, well, I've got to recall the book of Revelation because I'm not going to be able to pull off that ending that I described. You know, my kingdom's not going to be quite as powerful, quite as glorious you know, it's kind of up to question now whether I'm really going to reign forever and ever. You know, God's not going to have to recall the Bible. His word is forever settled in heaven. God is on the winning God is the winner. We're on the winning side when we're with him and in him. And uh, so we're, we have a lot to be thankful for and a lot to be hopeful and positive about. But what I want to talk to you about today is called the three greats. I'm going to talk about three things specifically in the Word of God that are called great, or that we are calling great. And the first one is what I'm going to call the great commitment. The great commitment. Now, how many of you have ever been in a church, whether it's here at New Creation or somewhere else, and the pastor or whoever was teaching a particular Sunday or Wednesday got up and talked about how that we need to be committed to God. Have you ever heard a sermon about that we should be committed to God? Let me see your hand if you've ever heard that. 
I, I think every preacher in the world probably has preached that. And, and you know what? It's a perfectly legitimate thing to preach. Uh, we should be committed to God. We should be committed to Jesus. We should be committed to the Bible. We should be committed to fellowship with one another. We should be committed to our local church. But that's not what I'm calling the great commitment. Because all of those commitments at least appear to begin with us, our commitment to God. What I'm talking about when I say the great commitment is God's commitment to us. Did you know that before you ever thought about being committed to God, that he was already 100% committed to you? When you didn't know who God was, I mean, before you were ever born, Jesus had already died for your sins. God knew you from before the foundation of the world. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. The Bible says it's not that we love him, it's that he loves us. Now, I'm all in favor. I'm 100% in favor of you and I being committed to God, committed to Jesus, committed to the Bible, committed to our church. I'm 100% committed to all of that, but I'm also aware that our commitment to God is not the foundation of our faith. God's commitment to us is the foundation of our faith. Because let's be honest, all of us, we may have wavered at times in our commitment. Sometimes we're real committed. Sometimes we've kind of slipped and things like that. But, but God is consistent, 100% consistent. He's never uh, questioned his love for you. He's never vacillated or wavered in his dedication and commitment to you. I'm building my house not on my commitment to him, but on his commitment to me. Jesus, let's look at this verse on the screen right now. Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want you to know that Jesus is 100% committed to building his church. If you want to know what's God doing in the world today, he's building the church. He's, he's getting people born again. He's uh, uh, developing people in the word and in the spirit, developing people in their love walk, helping people renew their minds, helping people discover their spiritual gifts. Jesus said, I will build my church. Uh, we're going to skip those pictures, and let's skip down to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, where Peter says this, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices to, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There's two different phrases that are used here that I want to focus on. Number one, that you are spiritual stones, living stones. Say this out loud, I am a living stone. You're not a dead rock. You're a living stone. And you are being built corporately into what? A spiritual house. That's so important to understand. See, as a living stone, you have a personal, 
individual relationship with Jesus Christ. How many of you know that, that as a born-again believer, you are like, if you can imagine walking through a field and there's a stone here and a stone here and a rock over here, things like that, each one of those stones has its own identity. A geologist could tell you what kind of stone it is and the, the molecular makeup of that stone and all that. But, but when there are stones just isolated, that's what they are is stones. But if a master craftsman, if a wise builder begins to gather these stones and perhaps shape them and, and cut off rough edges and so on, a wise builder could take those individual stones and form them into a house. See, as individual Christians, we're like those individual stones lying in the field, but when we assemble, when we fellowship, when we mutually commit to each other's benefit, and we realize I have gifts that God has given me to serve you with, and you have gifts that God has given you for you to serve God with, and we all begin to serve together, we're no longer just living stones. We become a spiritual house. Do you know you can worship God on your own? How many of you know you don't have to come to church to worship God? But how many of you know there's something really special when we come to church and we worship God together? There is a corporate anointing that, that just comes. There's an encouragement that comes, which is why the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because we're not just living stones. We're not just isolated uh, away from each other. God is building us into a spiritual house. Jesus said, I will build my church and so on. I want to skip down again to point number two, the second great and it is called the Great uh, Commission. The Great Commission. The first was the great uh, commitment that God has committed to us. The next point is the Great Commission, number two. And, and I think you know what that is uh, because I know you're taught the Bible very well by your pastor. Uh, really summed up in two verses. There's many more we could draw in for uh, amplification or nuances additional but Jesus said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature that's Mark 16 and then in Matthew 28 Jesus said go therefore and make disciples of all the nations the ethnos the all the different people groups of the world baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. When Jesus said that he would build his church, that means that something internal is going to happen to us. That means we're going to be joined together as living stones into a spiritual house. That means we're going to have koinonia. We're going to have fellowship. We're going to have teaching. We're going to have preaching. We're going to have worship. We're going to serve one another. When Jesus said, I will build my church, in the great commitment, we are strengthened internally. But in the great commission, we express the love of God externally. God wants to do an inward work in us, and he wants to do an outward work through us. 
There was a recent study done, I think a very extensive study done, and they found out that 51% of people who say that they are born-again Christians, 51% couldn't, they, they couldn't say what is the Great Commission. They, they, it's like they hadn't even heard of it. And another number of people said, well, I've heard of it, but I don't really know what it is. 51% of people who claim to be born-again Christians basically said, I am clueless as to the Great Commission. I want to talk about the Great Commission because we, we know those verses, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. You know, that's why this is a church. I know I see these flags, you know, on the walls, and, and, and this church is mindful of, of other nations of people. But let's look at the next slide. And I want to define mission, the great commission, as a hyphenated word, co. When you see the word co in front of, like, co-conspirator, you know, that just means it wasn't just one person in the conspiracy. It was two persons working and planning together. The, word, the prefix co, C-O, always means together, a partnership, more than one person. Uh, an alliance, so to speak. The reason we say the word co-mission is because we're not on this mission by ourselves. As a matter of fact, in a sense, it's really not even our mission. God's, it is God's mission. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. God is not willing that any should perish, but that everybody should come to repentance and to the acknowledging of the truth. God wants everybody to be saved. That doesn't mean they will be, but God has a mission. Jesus died not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life god is on a mission jesus is on a mission the holy spirit is on a mission god is a missionary god and the reason it's a co-mission is because he invited us to join him on his mission to make himself known to the world, to reveal his love to the world, to be a, a vessel through which the, the powerful influence of the Holy Spirit can flow and can operate. We are on a mission with God, and that is why we say it is a co-mission. You say, but Brother Cook, I'm not a missionary, and I'm not called to go to all these different nations. Listen, we're called to be ministers of the gospel right where we are. We're, we're called to be light. We're called to be salt. We're called to be an influence. And, and we, every believer can, can partner with God in his co-mission uh, every time uh, we interact with somebody outside the church, outside of the body of Christ. And I know this is a, a missions-oriented church. You, when you support your church, a missionary friend of mine said the, the most important thing that any Christian can do for missions is to support their local church. Because when the base is strong, when the, when the local church is strong, then it functions as a conduit of God's resources 
toward missions. So there's a third great. The first great was called what? I want to make sure you're following the great commitment, and that is God's commitment to us. The second is the great commission, which is where we join God in partnership with his mission to reach the world and to save, uh, seek and to save that which is lost. And the third great is what we're going to call, well, actually Jesus called it this, the great commandment. A person came to Jesus and said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Did you know there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament? Can you imagine getting up every morning and having to read 613 commandments to know what you're supposed to do and not do? Well, God did something. Now, I understand we're in the new covenant and we have a new commandment. But even in the Old Testament, God said, okay, let's just boil this down to 10. The 10 were kind of representative of the entire 613. But, you know, how many of you know some people are bottom line people? I don't want 10. Just tell me the most important one. And that's apparently what this guy was doing with Jesus. He said, he said, teacher, which is the great commandment? So how many commandments was he wanting to know? One. Which is the great commandment in the law? So he asked for one. So do you think Jesus is going to give him just one? Let's read this. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The guy asked for one. Jesus gave him one. But is Jesus finished? No. And he said, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's not enough just to love God. God wants you to love your neighbor. And if you go back and study the story of the Good Samaritan, as we call it, uh, when Jesus asked the question, in the story it's asked, who is the neighbor? Uh, pretty much anybody, okay? Anybody you have opportunity to interact with, connect with in any way, shape, or form, that is your neighbor. So the great commandment is that it's real simple. If you want to make this real simple, it's love God, love people. But then in John chapter 13, we have this commandment issue again. Did you know that, that loving others is not an option? Jesus didn't say a great philosophical idea I give to you. He didn't say a great theoretical supposition. Uh, he didn't say an idealistic lofty goal. He said a commandment I give to you. John 13 uh, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our witness to the world is never greater than when we're loving each other. Nothing is a worse witness to the world than when Christians are at each other's throats over issues that are kind of, when it comes to eternity, they're not that essential. 
In many cases, they're more matters of personal preference or personal conscience. But the reality is that we have a great commitment. God is 100% committed to us. Jesus is 100% committed to building us as living stones into a spiritual house. And, and we have been given a commission. We have been invited onto God's team. We have been invited into partnership with God as he fulfills the mission that Jesus expressed to, to you know, reach the whole world with the gospel and to seek and to save that which was lost. And then we find this third great, this great uh, commandment that we are commanded to love one another even as Jesus loved us and that according to Jesus that will be the signal to the world that we belong to him. Listen, there's enough strife and animosity and hatred and bitterness in the world that people don't need to come to churches to find that. The church is supposed to be a refuge, a place of of safety, a place of peace, a place of healing and restoration. In the early centuries, when you go back and study when the church was under severe persecution from the world, one of their greatest witnesses was how much they loved one another. There was an individual that lived uh, from about 100 A.D. to about 165 A.D. named Justin Martyr. And he was giving an explanation for the growth and the uh, thriving of this new Christian faith. And he said, in defense of Christianity, he said, we who formerly hated and murdered one another now live together and share the same table. We pray for our enemies and we try to win those who hate us. About a hundred years later, there was a great plague that went through Europe and northern Africa. That was, you know, a substantive part of the Roman Empire. And it was 252 AD, there was an emperor named Gallus. And he, along with many other emperors in, in the Roman Empire, hated the Christians. And society in general hated the Christians and would blame the Christians Every time there was a plague, a famine, uh, an earthquake, a flood, any time there was any kind of natural disaster, the populace blamed the Christians. Do you know why? Because any time there was a natural disaster, it happened because the gods were angry. Very superstitious mythological beliefs and so on. They, they, they believed that every natural disaster happened because the gods were angry. And, and the reason the gods were angry is because they were not being worshipped enough. Well, who in society refused to worship the gods, the pagan, non-existent gods? It was the Christians. And so therefore, for example, when this plague is sweeping through the land... And, and, and I don't mean this in a hard or callous way. I've had friends die from coronavirus. I'm not denying its reality. But on a, on a very objective, statistical, historical basis, some of the plagues in ancient times would kill 30 to 
of the population. And the people were so paranoid through their superstitions that if, 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 if somebody died in the house, they were so superstitious that they would just throw the body out the, out the house and wouldn't touch it because of the fear that they were in. Or if somebody in the house got sick, many times they would banish them from their own home. Family would kick out their own family and not let them come into the house. So people were either thrown dead on the street or bodies were, you know, uh, people died and just, and nobody would touch them. And the Christians were being blamed for all of this. And it was in that setting that Cyprian, we can go to our next slide. Cyprian, the pastor of Carthage in northern Africa, assembled his congregation. Do you know that congregations need to assemble? And he exhorted them to love their enemies, whereupon all went to work, the rich with their money, the poor with their hands, and they rested not till the dead were buried, the sick cared for, and the city saved from desolation. You know what I love about studying church history is there's so many noble examples that when the world was its darkest, the church shone the brightest. And we don't have any kind of pride. We don't think we're better than anybody else. But we are blessed and we are thankful that, that God has shown us and demonstrated to us his love. And that he really wants these three things worked deep into our souls and, and, and exuding from our attitudes and our actions that he is 100% committed to us. The great commitment. He's called us to partner with him in his mission to influence the world. Hence the great, commit, uh, great uh, commission. And thirdly, he's, he's commanded us to love him and to love others uh, with the same quality of love that he demonstrated toward us. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I believe the Holy Spirit is calling believers and churches to this kind of life, to this quality of life, uh, to demonstrate and to walk in the reality of these three greats. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this time today with, with New Creation Church. And Lord, thank you for Pastors Mark and Tasha and the gift that they are, the gift that you've made them. And for everyone who serves in leadership and all those who volunteer and work and all those who give and make this church possible, Father, it's just a privilege to be with your people today. And Lord, I want to pray right now, if there's people in this room, if there's people in this auditorium, uh, or people watching online who have never accepted your great love and your great mercy, the forgiveness that you offer, uh, I, I want you to know today simply this, God loves all of you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. 
He shed his blood so that you could be forgiven. Jesus rose from the dead so that he could then give you the gift of eternal life. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't be good enough. You can't be perfect enough or religious enough. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. The only people that are ready for heaven, not good, perfect, or religious people, but forgiven people. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you've never uh, been born again, or maybe you have, but you've been away from God. You've been in rebellion. You've been doing your own thing. You've been away from God, and you know that you need to rededicate your life and come back to God. I want to pray here in just a second. And if that's you, I want to include you in that prayer. How many with uplifted hand would say, Tony, I need Jesus today for the very first time, or I need to rededicate my life to God? Let me see your hand all over this place. If that's you, thank you so much. Thank you, ma'am. Are there others that with uplifted hand would say, Tony, I need Jesus today for the very first time. I need to rededicate my life to God. I'm looking all over this auditorium. Thank you so much. Thank you. There's a third hand right there. Thank you so much. And a fourth hand. Thank you. God bless you all. And there may be people watching online. So here's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And don't think that this, well, I'm just going to say some magic words and everything's going to be okay with God. No, this, this is not magic formula. This is a way for you to verbally express that in your heart, you're receiving God's love and forgiveness and that you're putting your faith in Jesus Christ. So the prayer is important, but realize it's, it's because it's coming out of your heart. Would everybody in this pray this out loud with me and with these that are praying this today in a very special way? Say, dear God, I come to you right now and I thank you that you love me so much that even though I've sinned and come short of your standards, that you love me so much that you sent Jesus Christ to the earth. He lived a sinless life. And then he went to the cross and he died for my sins. And he shed his blood so that I could be forgiven. And then Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is alive right now. And he's offering me love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Jesus, I accept you and every wonderful gift you're offering to me. And I give my life to you. I surrender my life. I put my trust in you. And Lord, I ask you to help me to live for you all the days of my life. Thank you, God, that you're making me. You've made me your child. I'm forgiven. I have a brand new beginning today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give these a hand that just prayed that. I saw four hands here and maybe some people online. I don't know. Uh, but, man, it's a joy, joy, great joy to be with you. I'm going to ask Pastor Mark to come and and close it out. I know he'll have some instructions for you that prayed today. Uh, one thing I want you to know is what you just did in praying is not the final step. It's the first step 
of a lifelong relationship with God. So, Pastor Mark, I'll turn it to you, sir. Thank you so much.